0: Forest City Church, anyone and everyone. Today, um, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to begin there. And before I, as you're turning there, the the verse will be up on the screen. But before we even go there, I just got to tell you too, um, these last few uh, weeks, I've been able to just tune in to the messages. Um, I, I love the series that we have been on this year. We started with the Shema, "Hear, Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our body. There's been something so powerful about that. And hearing Leonard talk about the mind, hearing Bria talk about the heart, hearing Jackie talk about the body, it's powerful, powerful messages from those three. And then you follow on and we kind of transition from, hey, if we're going to be the kind of people who actually know how to pray, man, how do we make sure that our souls are integrated? Not disintegrated, but our souls are integrated in a way where we can like actually listen, listen, and then speak. Or we can like actually be so attuned to heaven. And I love uh, how we started this second part of the series off with Leonard talking about fasting. And fasting's no joke. And the way he described it was so important. It's almost this practice where we see almost like this gap from where we want to be, who we can be, and how fasting helps shape us and form us. And then last week, I thought it was a brilliant message from Bria talking about prayer and healing prayer, and just walking us through that. And here's what I want you to understand. In 20-plus years of ministry, I've been at churches where we have had one primary teacher who is crushed. Grand Rapids, Michigan, best teacher I've ever been around. He would teach 40 weekends of the year. It was unbelievable, amazing. I've been at other churches where maybe there might be two voices. Time to time, maybe another person, maybe someone would kind of like, you know, go away on vacation. They fly someone in. I've been a part of that. But I will tell you, In all my history, in ministry, I have never seen a church that actually said, hey, this is the kind of values we want to have, multi-ethnic, egalitarian. And we want to actually provide that opportunity and then to see the level of teaching. And I just want to say, hey, for you all that you come to learn from anyone, that you come expectant, whether it's Bria, Leonard, Jordan, Jackie, myself, I love that. And I'm telling you what, continuing going forward in this series, you're going to get to learn through these consistent voices, but man, they are just hungry to teach you. So can we just thank those other teachers in our community? Yeah. All right, James chapter five, we're going to dive in. We're starting verse 13. It says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Let's go to the next verse. It says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I love that. If we sin, we will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I, I think there's something so powerful here. Because I think for many of us, we grew up in a context where we learned the art of confession as being one time, one act. One moment where we realize, I need a Lord, I need a Savior, I need Jesus, I am not him, I need Jesus. And we confessed our sins and all of a sudden we experienced grace. And for many of you, if you grew up in a different denomination or different context, maybe you went to confession on the regular. And he showed up, and there was a priest, there was a father, there was someone who told you to pray your Hail Marys. And you did that on the regular. And you got kind of familiar with the act of confession. And sometimes people transitioned out of Catholicism into a non denominational church, especially in the Midwest. And some of those practices of confession felt Catholic, and so we just kind of left that to the side. But I actually believe that confession is essential is essential. And here's why. Many, many years ago, I was sitting with um, a spiritual director. And I, I started to really press the spiritual director and, uh, about how, how does someone grow? Because as a pastor, I want people to grow deeper and deeper in the way of Jesus. And I'll never forget what the spiritual director said. Oh, if someone has humility, curiosity, and gratitude... It's nearly impossible for them not to grow in the way of Jesus. I remember thinking about that. Wow, humility, curiosity, gratitude. Wow, that's powerful. Then my next question was, well, how does someone embody those? And he said, as he thought about it for a moment, he said, through confession. I was like, confession? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, when you can admit that you're wrong. And here's, here's really the, the, the driving question of today's message. Why, why is it so hard for us to admit when we're wrong? I mean, have you ever just thought about that? I mean, when's the last time you had like a royal screw up? There's like a moment where you're like, oh, I did, I was wrong. I, I, I was not right. And then to actually like, look to your spouse or look to your child or actually share to someone who is a close friend and actually confess. And there's something inside of us that resists that, isn't it? I don't want anybody to think that I don't have it together when everybody else knows I don't have it together. I don't want anybody to know that, like, oh man, this is something I struggle with. I mean, because if they do, then maybe they'll think less. And what's amazing is oftentimes we talk about a faith that is so grounded in grace and peace and freedom and breakthrough, but for many of us, we struggle with admitting when we're wrong. Now, think about that. Think about that in regards to like spiritual muscle. The muscle that we build when we can't admit that we are wrong ends up, building over time, and building over time, and building over time, and sure, it might be some little, little sin of omission or commission, whatever you want to call it, it's some choice you made, but you're like, I just managed that, I just neglected that, I don't, I don't need to talk about that, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just going to not do that, and the older you get, the more power you get, The more influence you get, the more money that you get, the more at which you have to lose. You haven't done the work to actually be able to ever come forward and say, I was wrong. I love what Dallas Willard says. Dallas would often say, You should have one grand confession a day. Add that to your marriage, add that to your small group, add that to your close friendships. One grand confession that you were actually like, yeah, I was wrong here. So I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few years. I've been thinking so much. How do we actually get better at the act of confession? So let's play this out a little bit. Let's go to the next slide. What you'll see is that sin, and you've heard me say this, is that sin actually means to live less than. Less than. To be less than what God intended us to be. Now, many of us, we are familiar with this understanding that, yeah, when we make a decision or we make a choice, there is a sense of profound, how would you call it, like a gap. Kind of a gap between God and us. And oftentimes this kind of analogy is used in recognizing, oh, wow, Christ once and for all kind of cleaned and cleared and and helped me get free of that gap. But what happens on the next day? What happens with the addiction? What happens with the struggle? There's a great band called Brand New from way back. They had this album called Jesus Christ, or the song called Jesus Christ, and they were really wrestling through what does it mean to be a person who has morals and has faith, and they weren't people who were very spiritual, but they were really wrestling with it. And I'll never forget this one line in the song. It said, Jesus Christ, what did you do those three days you were dead? Because this problem's gonna last more than the weekend. And I think there's something really powerful about that because sometimes we we have these like struggles, and and oftentimes if, if we don't necessarily know what to do with it or with that gap, sometimes what we'll do is we'll actually distance ourselves from the God who is safe and consistent. And worthy of trust. Let's take this even farther. Is What what do you do. With the gap. Like think, Just think about the last 168 hours. The last week. Think about one grand confession. One moment where. Maybe not confession. But one grand moment where you were like. Ah I lived less than. The question then goes. Well what did you do with that gap? Did you, did you name it? Learn from it? Own it? Like, what what did you do with that gap? Because I think when you actually understand biblically what to do with that gap, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because, if I'm honest, most of us tend to minimize the gap. That's not that bad. I mean, I wonder what Michael Mims does. It's not that bad. I wonder what Asa does. i do not know. that bad. You can start naming different, and all of a sudden, you can just start trying to minimize and compare yourself. Or maybe for some of you, you neglect the gap. You're like, eh, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just like, I don't need to give attention to that. There's, there's more good I can do in the world. I'm, not, I'm just going to neglect that. Man, I have been freed. I don't need that. And we just kind of over-spiritualize it. Or we can distract ourselves from the gap. I don't, I don't wanna to have to think about it. So you know what, I'm gonna actually avoid any sense of vulnerability, any sense of actual honesty or a moment where someone might have to ask me, how was the past week? And I can just distract from it or maybe it's just detaching from it. And this has some huge weight. When you detach from the act and the prayer of confession, you just detach yourself because you might not know it, but you're not just detaching from this gap. You're detaching from something so much more powerful and beautiful. We'll get to that in a moment. Or maybe for some of us, we don't want to name the gap because if we're really, really honest, we just, um, we don't know how to discern between conviction and shame we don't know how to discern between learning and shame and so if we look at it all of a sudden we feel this sense of shame from the gap and we don't want to feel shame and I get it shame is the worst and so we just detach ourselves from actually something that's far superior than shame some of, some of you have seen this video, and I, I apologize, but it's my daughter. And, um, but this is, this is the best way that I know how to kind of, in such a human way, make sense of the gap. Mercy, what's in your hair? What's on the ground? Okay, now, I want you, what I want you to do, this is what happened. She got into a bar fight in her basement with Tinkerbell, and she lost, okay? So this two little girls, age of four, found glitter, destroyed our basement. And they came up, and there was glitter everywhere, and they acted like there was nothing wrong. <laughs> Minimize, neglect, distract, detach, but then all of a sudden I was like, we got to go down there. And as I walked down, even at four years old, she was in front of me before every step, acting and hoping that I might change my mind. And I was like, what is going on? I, don't, I had no idea what was down there. And then I pull out my phone, and I'm like, and I film this, but I want, you just, I want you to see her face. Her face in this moment. Because I think it's so human. Can we just can we play that one more time? Just look at her face. Just look at her face. Spackles. What's on the ground? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could laugh at it at that moment, but when I got the carpeting bill, not so much. But um, what did her face communicate? And how did she already know that? Isn't that wild? Like, like at such a young age, she already knew, oh, man, what's wrong with me? And that's the, that's, the, that's the difficulty of shame. And that's the way the enemy really wants you. Because he doesn't ever want you to actually in, actually engage with the gap. What the enemy wants is you to feel such shame to make you think, what's so wrong with you? And conviction isn't about you. Conviction's actually about the gap. It's actually getting curious and going, man, there is something about this. It's not saying you're wrong. It's actually beginning to identify what was wrong. And so this is how it's been shaping me. And so in a moment, what I want to do is I want you to kind of see this. And I want you to take you back to a prayer of David. And David was, um, he was messed up. I could tell you so many reasons that I thought he was amazing and I could tell you so many reasons why he was profoundly fractured and broken like all of us. But one of the things that David did that was so unique is when he realized there was something wrong, some sense of a gap, he was quicker. He was quicker than I've ever been to actually name that gap and address that gap. And he understood something. And so, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Look at this next verse, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So here's David's recognizing. He's saying, hey, I have this issue in my life. And the times that I had kept silent, it was like my bones, my structure, my foundation, They wasted away. And silently, I think for many of us, when we can't admit that we're wrong, when we can't actually practice confession or the prayer of confession, some of us are just wasting away. Because we're giving more room for the enemy, which we're giving more room for shame. And David understood, oh, if I have to make the choice of what I want to actually be true of me, I don't want to waste away. Continues on. He says this in verse 4 For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love this it's just so plain it's so clear it's just so man I have a decision I have a choice I can waste away by the power of shame and by the enemy's guilt or I can actually name it and confess it and somehow in the power of confession I experience the forgiveness from above and so I started to really journal about this and wrestle about this because I was like why is it so hard for me personally to admit when I'm wrong so I started to kind of play around with some drawings. So maybe, maybe we have to move this kind of drawing from this kind of picture of God up here and this gap and me down here. Maybe we flip it. Instead of like God to me, maybe we turn it this way. We go to the next slide. And Maybe it's me and God. But there's something if you read and understood what David is really, really saying is that there's something that's actually even weightier. And here it is. Underneath the me, David was able to name what he did. And under God, he was able to understand what God did. And there's this massive gap. And I want you to understand this. Whether it's the smallest little thing, whether it's the biggest thing, if you can actually get to a point to actually name what I did, what you did, what we did, And also at the same time hold what God did. Something profound happens. But play this out with me. If you can't fully name what you did, can you fully claim what God did? If you can't name, oh, I was a little wrong here. Ah, man, you know what? I felt so tempted to go look at that. Oh, you know what? Like I felt so so insecure in this moment. I felt like I needed just to like center myself or talk above or exaggerate something or, or make myself seem funnier or smarter or more important. I got short with my daughter. If I can't actually name what I did, then I don't know if I can fully claim God's healing, God's goodness. God's grace, God's forgiveness. And so, what I think often happens is in our worship, we sing songs about what God did. We just don't actually talk about what we did. And I think this is where confession is so beautiful. Because when you actually practice confession, you realize, just like I realize, and I know deep down, I'm a piece of work, and I'm in process. And the only thing that's actually going to actually transform me is not more content and more information, it's actually the Spirit's power and doing what the Scriptures teach us to do. And what does the Scriptures teach us to do? It teaches us to confess. To confess. Talking with that spiritual director, he told me, he said, the way that you actually can do that, yes, is through confession. And he told me, what he calls the mercy prayer. And obviously I love that because it's the name of my daughter. And I was like, the mercy prayer, I will not forget that. And this, this is at the, the mercy prayer for me is where you actually at any moment can name what you did. I got really, really, really triggered by that driver. And I thought something I wish I wouldn't have thought or i said something i wish i didn't say or i demonstrated something i wish i didn't demonstrate with a finger i didn't do that but like and if i did i would be confessing it but you know it's like even like on stages you get to this point where you minimize and you manage and i think i think there's like this moment where when you actually can recognize like what was what was going on there what was happening Free it from shame. And really like begin to actually unpack humility, curiosity, and gratitude. Because here's the thing. Is when you can admit that you're wrong, you are demonstrating humility. And when you actually can understand... Just looking at it, what happened in that moment? Just get curious. What happened in that moment that made me want to react or make me want to act or make me want to do or behave or say or not say or just stay silent? Whatever that was, just get curious. And when you can name it humility, when you can get really curious about it and then you can actually recognize what God has done to free you from that, How does gratitude not well up? And this is the mercy prayer. This is the prayer of confession. Because every time you confess to something, you open yourself up to saying, I don't have it all together. Of course. I got to get curious of why I'm doing it. And thanks be to God that he came and actually forgave me. And the more I get connected to God's forgiveness and God's love despite me, the more gratitude, the more power wells up within me that I just want to sing and worship. It changes the way that I live. I love what David writes in Psalm chapter six. I was reading that this week. And and, and David, there's just one little verse, Psalm six, verse nine. It just says, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord has heard my cry, the mercy prayer. The Lord accepts my prayer. I mean, and that's, that's the actual question we have to ask ourselves is, when's the last time we actually prayed that, no, not that he would hear my prayer for another person who might be sick or might be hurting or might be struggling, but actually heard my prayer for mercy where I acknowledge there is a gap between what I did and what God did. And when I can name it and get curious about it, I can experience the gratitude. Now, Some of you know this story, but it has just done a number on me. Um, A mentor of mine, um, uh, John Orpert, uh, he he stepped out of a role at his church a couple years ago. And it was during COVID. And so he had to film his last message in front of a camera, just speaking to... Six people, the sound person, the video person, person running slides, kind of thing. I never got to say goodbye. And it just, it, it just felt wrong to me. And so um, a few of us started to call a couple people from around the country and said, hey, um, I think we should surprise John and throw this party and let's just have like a, a moment outside. We can have dinner, we got it catered. And then we went to a park And we shared stories about what J-O taught us. And um, if any of you know Mike Bro, Mike Bro was there. Mike Bro was like just all neck or no neck, just like this. He's like, John, just gotta tell you, I think you've written 17 books, and that's three times more books than I've ever read. And that was Mike Bro's like (laughs) commitment. And then he he said, ah. John, you, you have done such a great job making Dallas Willard accessible. And I'm just trying to make you accessible. It was a genius. It's a genius Mike Rowe, if you know him. Gene Apple wrote like a three-point sermon for, it's like strategically directing us where we needed to go. I loved it. It was amazing. Affirming J.O. A bunch of people started to share. And then this therapist, who I didn't know, but I had invited to come because his name was on the list that Nancy had given me. I invited this therapist. This therapist raises his hand and goes, I guess it's my turn. It's like, I don't really have much to share outside of, um, eight years ago, John called me and said, um, can I, can I call you every morning at 530 and confess my sins to you and you confess your sins to me? And the therapist was like, that's a terrible idea. You lost me at 530 (laughs) AM. And, um, two weeks later, John called him back again and said, Hey, um, it would really mean a lot to me is if I could actually call you and share with you what's going on in my life and, and you could actually share with, with me what's going on in your life and, and whatever, whatever it is, whether it's with our wife or kids or our career or our life or money, whatever it is, like, that we could just actually like talk about that and then we could end each moment of confession with someone saying, thanks be to God that you are forgiven and that you would just be so close to what you did but also so close to what God did and the therapist actually said he said I I thought maybe John needed this so I was like I'll be a good friend and do it and in eight years the therapist said they missed seven mornings seven mornings at 5 30 a.m. Monday through Friday that's what they did and I thought that was remarkable And I remember my buddy Mike Goldsworthy was there, and and Mike and I were walking out. And I I looked at Mike, and I was like, these 60-year-old men want Jesus more than we do. There's no way I'd wake up at 530 a.m. to confess my sin. I don't even know what that looks like. And I'm like, we should try it for two months. And in two months' time, we missed that call eight mornings. (laughs) And six of them were because I just slept through it. But you know what's amazing? You know what's amazing is when you actually practice confession to another person. Here's the secret of it. The next day, the next day, you're going through your life, and all of a sudden, the enemy throws this temptation before you. And you have to look at that temptation and go, if I say yes to this, I'm also gonna have to say yes to sharing this with Mike. And that's not that sexy, it's not that great. And I don't want to have to share that. And then there were moments where I didn't think about that. And the opportunity for me to name what I did and then for Mike to hear it and then all of a sudden be able to proclaim what God did for me. It did something. And here's, here's what I want you to see. I'm just gonna give you two quick definitions. The first is confession. Confession is the sacred act of acknowledging and naming what you did that people don't already know. Out loud to God and another person. And this was the absolute game changer for me is I often thought confession was just saying what I did. But what I realized was oftentimes the other person already knows what I did. Therapists will tell you this, pastors will tell you this. Police officers will tell you this, lawyers will tell you this. Most people say that they're confessing, but they're confessing to what the other person already knows to be true. What confession is, is going farther, is living in that vulnerability, living in that sacred space that you can name and acknowledge, not with shame, but with curiosity and humility. And then the gift of doing that to God or the gift of doing that to another, like James teaches us, is the second definition, which is profession. And profession is the sacred act of acknowledging and naming what God did out loud for you by another person. And that profession could come, yes, in street evangelism, but that profession can come actually when you sit across and shop and share and that person reminds you. Some of you know uh, my best friend. He came and spoke here this summer, Tommy. Tommy and I talked pretty much every day. And this is an act of what we do. I was like, 5.30 a.m. does not work, Mike. I'm going to Tommy. And Tommy, we can call it like 4 p.m. It's easier for me. But I'm, ask, I'm asking you, do you have those people in your life that you can actually call? Because you will massively speed up your spiritual formation because it demands and requires humility and curiosity and gratitude. It allows you to recognize where you are and what you did and it recognize and allow you to recognize how great God is and what he did and continues to do for you. Without shame, All with love and all with grace and all with peace. So, here's what I want to do. I want you to practice right now. Okay? So, here's what you're going to practice. The first thing you're going to practice is saying, I was wrong out loud. A count of three. One, two, three. It's easy, right? I was wrong. All right? This week, this week, I challenge you, I challenge you to have one grand confession. One grand confession. But before you just go share that with another person, spend some time with God. Acknowledge and name what you did. Get a little curious. What was leading me to that? Was I hungry? Was I tired? Was I stressed? Was I frustrated? Was I not in control? Was I feeling insecure? Name that. But experience just for your own moment, God, your love, your mercy, your grace. Hmm. You heard my cry for mercy, you hear my prayers and just allow that gratitude. And when you can begin to know that, bring that to a friend. And the more that you can create that, what you are creating also is not just you and God, but it's it's connected to what our vision is, life together. I hope that you have people in your life that you can actually mess up in front of and they'll still love you. That people can actually get and redeem a word that has been so destroyed, in my opinion, which is repent. Repent is just that beautiful moment where you just, teshuvah in the original language, where you just return Home. That's what the word means: is to come home, to return home. And where do you return? You return back to God's loving grace and forgiveness for you. And we all, when someone confesses to us, we all have the chance to be the agents of teshuva, to welcome the older brothers home, to welcome the younger brothers home, to welcome them back. And I think this is important. So, the challenge for this week, embody humility, curiosity, and gratitude by actually having one grand confession today. And please don't take this and put it online and said, Steve told me I can go sin wildly so I could practice confession. I'm not saying that. You're gonna sin without me telling you to do it or not. I'm just telling you to own it and own it quickly so you can experience the power of God's forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey. Um, in all true kind of just transparency I'm really excited where we're headed as a church I'm excited I had an elder meeting this week it was amazing <sighs> leadership team Bria and Leonard sit on Carrington sits on Jeff Copelman and Trev and myself uh, just there's something that's happening there's good trust I think here in this campus going to two, camp- two services is really really important and I'm excited for what God's gonna do because I think that the heart of life together and spiritual formation and the way of Jesus and these values, it has the power to really help people who maybe drifted from God return and remember what he did for us. But here's my one ask. You heard Stephen say it. So some of us, you've been serving once a month. Would you just this week maybe prayerfully consider maybe going from once a month to maybe even serving twice a month just from now till September that little thing will give us a gap as we welcome new people in to get them involved to get them trained to get them be a part and if none of you have served or some of you haven't served yet and i hope find Stephen, find the volunteers get connected there is such good 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 mojo happening and i and he's totally right the happiness around volunteering is real. And I'll just add one more fact to that is volunteers, they stay, live on average four years longer than the normal human being. So if you wanna live four years longer, join our team. With that, would you stand for a closing prayer? Would you put your hands out for a, a blessing? My brothers and sisters of Forest City Community Church or Forest City Church, may you be so aware and humble curious and grateful to not be afraid to name what you did and experience again and again and again and again what God has done for you. And may you be so courageous to share that with another. And when that person hears, I pray that they have the words to remind, to ask good questions, and to profess over you. Thanks be to God. You are forgiven. Much love, everyone. We'll see you next weekend. Grace and peace.